0: Just the technical complexity of that project was enormous. If it had failed, it would have been probably the end of Silverlight. So, Welcome to Pixelate Radio. On the web at GetPixelated.com.
1: That's GetPixel, the number 8, ED.com. Now, here's your host, Craig Shoemaker. PDC 2008 with Mr. Scott Guthrie. Do I even need to say anymore? It was a great show, and uh, we're pleased to have Scott here. He's one of those guys who, even at his stature, makes himself insanely accessible. And so we're grateful to have our conversation with him. We're talking about Silverlight, looking at what's happened since the Olympics, as well as some hints as to what's to come and some other gems as well. For show notes, please go to getpixelated.com slash shows slash ScottGuthrie08. That's Scott ScottGuthrie08. So PDC really was a great time. And there was a a lot of activity at the Infragistics booth. Uh, We were doing a number of things. Uh, we, We were talking about the new data visualization components that we have for Silverlight, the Silverlight controls that we've come out with, as well as the new product realignment. But what was really nice about this booth is that we had a specific place for our interviews. And um, Kathleen Rader did an amazing job of making it look professional and, and look awesome. Um, we had these velvet curtains behind us and velvet ropes, and I had the studio mics out and the director's chairs, and it was just, it was a really cool place to sit down and talk to a lot of very interesting people. Now, these people, you may have heard of a couple of them. Today, we're talking to Scott Guthrie, but we also talked to Phil Hack, Jeff Proseis, Jesse Liberty, Scott Hunter, Stephen Walther, Bertrand Roy. And we even have people from Infragistics that we've got interviews from. Uh, Dean Guida, our CEO, Ed Blankenship, as well as Jess Chadwick and Josh Smith. And it was just a a continual amount of activity around the interview booth. and, And we had a lot of fun. But we'll go ahead and start it off right. We've got Scott Guthrie here talking to us about Silverlight. So what's the show been like for you? What's the experience been?
0: It's been great. It's been uh, this is day three, um, uh, and you know it's 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 always a lot of fun um, to you know get a chance to, to meet so many different people. You know some of whom you know I've exchanged email with, some of whom I met in the past, some of whom read my blog, and uh, you know a meet with them, hear there some you know there's a lot of excitement I think around some of the announcements this week, and uh, yeah, it's just just been really really positive buzz, which is great. That's awesome. Yeah, very energizing.
1: Now something that. Um it's been really big is, is Silverlight. And, and one of the things that you mentioned in um, the keynote was the fact that you're planning on having a version of Silverlight that will run outside of the browser. Mm-hmm. Now you didn't really have a chance to go into that very much. Can you mm-hmm. tell us more about that?
0: Yeah, well, uh, um, well specifically one of the things that we talked more about this week was this new technology coming out that we call mesh. Uh, and it's basically uh, software does a couple different things. Um, One of which is to provide a way that you can do data synchronization and storage of of information across different devices, whether it's a desktop, a web app, or a mobile app uh, running on a phone. And it also then provides the ability for you to take apps uh, um, outside the browser, web apps, and and have them run outside the browser. And so it basically provides a frame and a security model to take uh, sandboxed apps. and uh, that includes both Ajax as well as Silverlight. And uh, those apps can then get access to that data that is replicated all over the place and um, you know, allow you to basically build out of the browser experiences. And so one of the things that we showed at the show uh, in the keynote was uh, the BBC iPlayer application um, running both inside the browser using Silverlight and then uh, showing them actually run it outside the browser inside a Mesh-enabled experience. <laughs>
1: So to give you a little bit of a taste of what Scott's talking about, I've got an excerpt from the keynote here, where Anthony Rose is explaining the BBC iPlayer and what its capabilities are.
2: So hi, I'm Anthony Rose, head of online media at the BBC, and I head up the BBC's iPlayer project. The iPlayer lets you watch or listen to pretty much everything from the BBC's eight TV channels and 50 radio chat stations. At peak times, it accounts for about 10% of the UK's entire internet bandwidth. What we're looking at on screen now is the iPlayer website. And you can see it's what I call a broadcast 1.0 proposition.
3: And
1: so what he does is he goes on to show you the website. And, how it, you know, it's a basic media website. You can see the, the television shows that have been on air and the radio shows that they've produced. And it's available to you on the website. But then he goes further to tell you how they've used Mesh in order to create uh, what he's going to call a broadcast 2.0 proposition.
2: Let me go and close the browser and go to our desk companion. So this is a Silverlight app running locally. And on it, the first thing I can do is I can see all the devices that have Mesh live services installed. Now, with one click, I can take my iPlayer application and sync it to all my devices. That's fantastic. It lets me get the same experience on all my devices. Down the bottom, we can see my friends. These are all my contacts from MSN Messenger.
1: So what he's doing is basically showing the social aspects of the software. And you can share iPlayer programs and activities with your friends and add friends and see the data and popularity and things of that nature. But then he sees that his friends are seeing that Robin Hood is popular. So he starts to play the video.
2: So down the bottom we've got the Love Meter. Now these are full length programs, full movies, 30 or 60 minute programs, not clips. So some of them are boring bits. There's some cool bits. How do I know which okay. bits to play? And my friends can help oh, wait, me tell, tell me that, and I can inform my friends. Yeah. So the love meter at the bottom, I can hit I love this, I'm bored with this, and that gets synced into the mesh and is available to my friends. So now enough about my friends. Let me get to me. So if we click on the Me tab, we can see the program I've just played, and we can see my activity. Now what's really interesting here is because this is Meshified, this information is going out to all my devices. So if I'm in the office and I've watched a program halfway through and I'm now going out for lunch, I can take out my cell phone, and when I go on my cell phone, that program has been synced to the cell phone. And it's not just the information, the metadata, but through the cloud the actual program is on the phone, and the program, in fact, will resume playing from exactly where I left off on my desktop computer.
1: Now this is really cool stuff here, because what he's done is he has a a Windows Mobile application playing on a a Samsung phone, and the video really did start exactly where he left it off at when he was watching it on his browser. Uh, So this is some amazing stuff, and more to the point, showing the value and showing you the, the effect that Mesh can make on building some really amazing user experiences. Now the fun at Scott's Keynote did not stop there. One of the other applications that they featured was Tesco which is reportedly the largest grocery retailer in the world, and and their whole system is entirely based on .NET. And so what they did was they showed an application all based on WPF using touchscreen technology.
3: We start with a gadget. It's called the Tesco at home gadget, and it's from that that we fire up our application. It allows you to stay up to date with your to-do list, with your Tesco delivery, and even see special offers.
1: Now don't let the description of a widget throw you for a loop here. What he's showing is uh, an application that you'd have on a touchscreen computer that would be like in your your living room or maybe your kitchen. And what they have featured on it is the the, whole idea of maybe a corkboard where you could put messages and calendars, to-do lists and family photos and things of that nature. But it really gets interesting when they break out the shopping piece of it, uh, the, the way that you would go to the grocery store using this touchscreen application.
3: So a great way to shop smartly is meal planning. So let's go into the calendar, as this is a logical place to plan because we can see what else is going on in our lives. And with a few clicks and drags, this is a fast way to plan. It adds all of the ingredients to my basket automatically. As you can see, we're adding it to different dates on the calendar. We can also then go on to recipes. They don't just give us the ingredients, they can give us video and step-by-step instructions. They can also allow us to adjust quantities for the people that I'm catering for. There are even calorie counts. And we just dragged those straight into the basket like everything else. So there you go, what, three mails, 30 seconds, how easy was that?
1: Now, okay, maybe I'm just a little cynical, but you know, a drag and drop, even touchscreen shopping cart application isn't something to get all that excited about. But the cool thing is, is that they didn't stop there. For me, one of the best parts about the Keynote was to see this next feature.
3: I was told that PDC was about the coolest technologies. So let me show you something else we can do today. So Paul, I'm sorry, I've run out of cola. Can you put some on the list, please? Now, because we have an integrated webcam and we know about barcodes, it's easy. So, whether you've run out of milk or cola, you just add it to your list by waving it in front of your PC.
1: That blew me away. I mean, when they took it all the way where they were scanning in barcodes right off the, yeah. the monitor, that was amazing.
3: Yeah, I
0: mean, that that uh, that was pretty cool. A lot of people were pretty excited by that. Um, uh, you know, it's. I think one of the things that's cool is is seeing how. Uh, you know, the technology is getting, getting to the point where, you know, building experiences that uh, look great, that incorporate things like 3D, incorporate things like webcams, incorporate things like animation and behavior, are getting to the point that, you know, average people like us can actually write them. And, um, you know, in the past you can always do, you know, cool computer science demos that really <laughs> require, you know, a PhD in rocket science to figure out how to do and, you know, the fact that, uh, that that particular app that we showed with Tesco, one is they're actually going to ship it um, in the next couple months. But also, you know, we showed it running on a $1,500 machine that was touch enabled. Um, but the fact that you could do all of the multi-touch support with that app, you know, on a machine that, that costs, you know, $1,500 bucks... Uh, is great, and you know, eventually, that you know, those capabilities will run on a machine that costs under a thousand. But you know, you know, having effectively kind of surface-like computing on a machine that you could actually buy and, and keep on your desk, yeah, you know, is cool.
1: That makes it accessible. Yeah, it makes yeah. it
0: accessible, and it suddenly means that that those features that used to be, you know, science fiction, are increasingly coming into our living rooms and our kitchens and our and our studies, and and you know, that that just hopefully leads to an even more exciting world.
1: Well, and it kind of reminds me of something like what we saw when Ajax first came out, whereas we suddenly had this capability. And people were kind of wondering, like, well, what are we going to do with it? And so we've seen Silverlight and we've seen WPF come out, and, and, you know, everybody's asking, well, where's the real line of business application to this and everything? And now we're starting to see, okay, well, the creative creativity is coming to it, and real things are coming out of it now.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, you know, and, and I think having, you know, this, the uh, having .NET be something that, is the kind of essential glue that ties it all together. You know, whether you're running code on the server, whether you're running code on the client, whether you're running fo- you know code on a, a mobile phone, um, and being able to use a single language, a single .NET programming model, a single set of tools with Visual Studio and expression, you know, means that, that as a developer, your your knowledge is highly leveraged. And the investment you make in both code and in skills you know, really translates all over the place, and that, that's that's great. Yeah.
1: Now, continuing with Silverlight, you, we're right off the heels of the Olympics, and a great success of success story of what Silverlight uh, had to offer. Yep. What what kind of things did you learn through that experience?
0: Well, the the, the Olympics project for us was um, was really kind of a, you know I, I I often describe it to the team as kind of a, a moonshot, you know, in the sense of. It was a huge project from a technical complexity perspective. Um, You know, we had had about 50 million unique users visiting the site. There were more than 3,500 hours of video, actually more than 3,500 video clips even, um, up to 64 live streams. And, you know, the the Olympics is a 17-day event. And the NBC, which is actually the one that built the project, you know, paid a billion dollars for the rights to it. And so, you know, when you have 17 days to, re, re, you know, to basically make up a billion dollar investment, there's a lot of pressure, um, there's a lot of demand. I mean, you can't postpone the Olympics, you can't put it off a couple of days, you can't slip. Um, and so the, compl- and, and you know, the fact that it was in Beijing meant that, you know, as these events are going on live in Beijing, you need to find a way to record them Encode them, ship them across the internet, broadcast them to 55 million people, and do that within 30 seconds. And that you know, just the technical complexity of that project it was enormous. Um, and it and it was you know it was if it if it had failed, it would have been probably the end of Silverlight. So <laughs> there was a little bit of a um, glad that it didn't. Very glad it didn't. I mean, and, and, you know, it, it, it paid off and was a huge success. I mean, it, it basically broke every online web video media record out there in terms of the number of unique users, in terms of the number of minutes watched. Uh, on average, people spent 27 minutes watching the video, uh, which is, you know, far beyond anything that's ever been recorded for online web video before. And, and it was really a testament both to the content, that was interesting but also I think the quality of the experience well yeah I mean if
1: if if they really if they practically couldn't watch it and it was a hassle for them to do it they wouldn't have yeah so
0: and we kept trying we had very detailed live statistics about how many people were watching how long they were watching what resolution they were watching it at and um You know, and so actually within about a day, we actually knew, hey, we have a hit on our hands. So did you
1: ever have any nail-biting moments when you were just like, we got to get this fixed now?
0: The team did an incredible job in terms of planning. And so, you know, we we started the project in January and it went live in July. Um, uh, And then obviously the Olympics were the beginning of August. Um, And so... That's still
1: short for such a large scale. Yeah, for
0: for the amount of, I mean, for the amount of... uh, uh, you know, the, the, the the Silverlight client piece was one aspect. You know the hardest thing though is is just the people management and the project management of so many moving pieces. Like when you have 3500 videos, you need a really rich con- content management system. You know, you need to be able to encode these things really fast because, you know, if there are 60 events going on simultaneously, you know you can't just load these things up in an expression encoder and hit record you know (laughs) because it takes you know an hour to record at these bit rates and so we had basically hardware encoders um that could basically encode live off the feeds um again it's 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 in beijing so you can't just like mail a dvd back to the u.s um and you have to do this for 60 live events and so and live means live so you know, basically, you had to have you know, hardware encoders, you had to have redundancy, you had to be able to encode. Um, because NBC's making it up on advertising, you had to be able to inject ad markers, um, be able to do both leading roles as well as mid in, midpoint insertion ads. Uh, you need to be able to have an ad agency sell ads and then be able to indicate based on the event what type of ad should be used or not used based right. on what the, you know, so.
1: And then have the statistics for reporting back and.
0: Reporting back yeah. so you could build the customer. Uh, you know, you can't, the amount of bandwidth that we used, um, you, you literally couldn't have a single server or single data center broadcast all this. The, the, there's just, you, you can't have, you know, we had about 1.7 terabits of concurrent <laughs> data access and so you, you can't literally put that into a single data center anywhere in the world and so you had to think about you know how do you do edge caching of this content so that it doesn't melt the internet right um, <laughs> and how I do can you see the redundancy? headlines yeah. microsoft melts the internet. oh yeah <laughs> you know, how do you how do you handle redundancy so that if you know god forbid a data center blows up you know you don't kill you know again that billion dollars doesn't get lost and so you know, just the, the, the amount of the technical complexity and especially the project management complexity of all these different vendors doing it. And, and NBC was the one that ran all this, so it was not a, you know, Microsoft wasn't building this app, you know, we were consulting, but you know, NBC just did a phenomenal job. And, um, and uh, you know, my team spent a lot of time on making sure the player was right, doing, we did a lot of performance work in Silverlight, um, you know, really tested the heck out of the Olympic scenarios you know, we did, we did uh, uh, a few last minute fixes to Beta 2 specific for the Olympics. Uh, and then you know, we, had, we had basically about two days before the Olympics started, we had a conference call, Bridge start up. And we basically ran it for three and a half weeks before <laughs> we shut it down. And we had people 24 7 in the war rooms in New York, which is where NBC's headquartered, mm. in Beijing. Um, and, uh, uh, and at Microsoft and Redmond and, and a few other in, at the CDN's uh, uh, Limelight Level 3. And so we basically had people 24-7 on that phone call. And <laughs> you know, I don't know what my phone bill was, but it was high. Um, and I was usually dialed in most of the time, too. And so, you know, yeah. you'd see, like, hey. Um, so, you know, we had, we had a few nail-biting. I the only real nail-biter for me that I thought, oh, man, was uh, a construction crew in Chicago two days before the Olympics start started accidentally cut a fiber uh, oh, no. cable with like a backhoe or something like that <laughs> so um there was a point in time for a couple of hours where you know we were bouncing network traffic all over the place to basically get the capacity to get around it yeah. and, and thankfully it worked out fine but yeah. it, that was just one of those where like after all the planning one of like, those moments oh man yeah. no <laughs> um and uh but you know thankfully it just it, it worked great That's awesome. Yeah,
1: now we spoke back at Mix about some of the strategies that you were going to use in order to increase the player ubiquity, Mm -hmm. and now you're saying that you've got it up to where the one in four machines that that are on the web has has the player. Yeah, what's the plan for the next step to get it up to three quarters or even a hundred percent install
0: base? Well, you know, we've always we've always kind of focused on our main our main strategy. Well, we focus really on a couple things. One is, you know. Having compelling content, so things like the Olympics certainly helped. You know, you'll see a lot more pretty exciting sites. You know, continue to go live. Uh, and now that we ship Silverlight too, you're gonna see lots of partners go live. Mm-hmm. So AOL Webmail, for example, now has a Silverlight version uh, as their main RIA application. Uh, Netflix this week just announced that all Netflix customers can now watch their Instant Watch demand service, uh, and that's powered entirely by Silverlight, exclusively by Silverlight. Um, and you're, you're going to see more and more apps. You know, we showed at the conference here the new Office Web Companions, which basically give you um, uh, Office-like functionality running inside the browser. Those are built with Silverlight. Um, and so, you know, as more apps use Silverlight, you're going to see the distribution numbers continue to increase. You know, in parallel, then we're doing work to, to um, you know, we're partnering with OEMs like Hewlett Packard, now install Silverlight on all their machines that they sell. Um, you'll see more uh, deals like that and you know in general it's combination of content and then uh, a couple of partnerships that we're doing in order to have Silverlight installed as part of applications and things like that so um, you know over the next couple months and certainly over the next year you're going to continue to see Silverlight uh, show up more and more and more and you know in general I think what we we typically expect is for certain types of apps once you hit a certain percentage number of distributions people say. Yep. Now it makes sense. You know, as long as X percentage people already have it, I'm willing to prompt the other percentage of people to do it. Right. Okay. Harder when you're starting at 0. Yeah. Um, you know, now that we're, you know, we're we're about at 1 and 4, it gets easier. Yeah. Um, <laughs> once you get above, you know, 1 and 2, it gets even easier. Once you get above, you know, 3 out of 4, it gets really easier, and obviously once you get 100% then it gets trivial. Right. Um, but you know, I think we're going to start over the next year, you'll see us pass a couple of those points where it just, you know, hey, yeah, some percentage of people are going to get prompted, but enough percentage aren't, uh, you know, already have it that I'm, I'm comfortable with it. And, and one of the things we also did is Silverlight 1 has an auto-update mechanism, and so um, we basically can send a signal out to start upgrading Silverlight machines, and we, we started that about a week ago. Um, you know, we're approaching about 100 million clients already installed, upgraded to Silverlight 2, um, you know, and, and you'll continue to see that over the next couple of weeks as that process completes. And so that also helps ensure that people that do have Silverlight are running with the most recent version.
1: Now, one of the other roadblocks that people often look at when they're doing any kind of RIA, but uh, particularly with Silverlight, is search engine optimization. Mm-hmm. And I was wondering, what, is, is there plans to bring in the WPF accessibility type of features into Silverlight, so we it expose more of it to search engines?
0: Well, Silverlight does actually have uh, accessibility built in. So with the final release of Silverlight, we did the work to build in the UI automation peer work so that you know screen readers like JAWS and others can actually integrate with Silverlight um, using the standard accessibility framework that we support from Microsoft. Uh, there's a separate question which is around SEO optimization, which in general is really hard for client apps, whether they're Ajax apps, whether they're Flash apps, or whether they're Silverlight apps, um, mainly because Depending on how a user uses the app, they might load different data. So, you know, the classic example: if you have a search box and you want to load a data grid, depending on what the user types in the search box, the content coming back will be different. Um, and you know, we're, we're going to look at ways that, uh, and we'll, we'll publish white papers that talk about ways that you can um, publish on your site, uh, basically URLs that will draw you know basically activate silverlight and, and and go to a specific part of the app and then you can indicate to the search engine here's the content that's going to be there. Um, and so you can basically provide SEO hints and, and SEO optimization.
1: Now so, something I'd be excited about knowing is is are you planning a version of dynamic data for Silverlight?
0: Yeah, I mean it's a good question. I mean, uh, one of the things that we are looking hard at with Silverlight is, uh, you know, we just shipped Silverlight 2, which provides kind of really you know, solid base for both media and RIA scenarios. And we just shipped the Silverlight toolkit this week that provides even more controls for doing Silverlight development. Um, there's a lot more than we're then gonna build on top of that. And uh, certainly one of the big things that we're focusing on is data scenarios for line of business applications, as well as just data data scenarios in general. And, uh, and so we are looking at, at ways that we can, we can basically do kind of dynamic data like scenarios with Silverlight. Um, as well as just handle the whole interior remoting of data back and forth and make that a little bit cleaner. So that is something we'll, we'll, we'll invest even more heavily in in the future.
1: Uh, with the recent addition of jQuery, I know you've gotten lots of questions about that. Uh, it's, it's kind of maybe indicative of something else or something more that seems to be happening at Microsoft. And one of the most popular blog posts I ever wrote was something that defended Microsoft, basically saying, here, look at this company that seems to be turning a corner and is very open and has a, a, basically a new outlook on on what, how people may have perceived the company. Is, is this a fad? Is this something that's here to stay? What, what, what's the culture like?
0: Well, I mean, I think I think in, in general, we are trying to definitely be more and more open. And um, I think open in general means many different things. I mean, I think one of them is uh, you know, trying to be transparent about our roadmap, And so events like PDC are, are pretty, you know, are, you know, I think we've always been slightly unique in the sense of, you know, we tend to actually tell people where we're going 12 to 18 months before we get there. And, you know, we all, I mean, we, we we're we clear, like, this isn't shipping today, but this is kind of where we're going. And so things like the Azure web services, uh, web you know, hosting cloud capabilities that we announced today, uh, this week, mesh, um, Windows 7 and things like that. You know, those are things that will ship in the future. We're giving out betas and, and developer previews today to get people ready and to let people know where we're going. Um, you know, we're trying to be much much more transparent with things like blogs, so that it's not just at big developer events like this, but with things like CTPS and blogs and uh, podcasts and things like this that we can actually be more transparent also in terms of our planning. Um, you know, and then I think the other things that we're focusing a lot on is how can we be more open in terms of sharing interop and uh, sharing file formats and sharing protocols and things like that so other people can integrate. And then, you know, how do we, how do we really collaborate with the open source world? Right. Uh, you know, in a collaborative way, not in a, you know, partnering way, but in, in a real kind of deep collaborative way. And things like the jQuery that we're doing as well as, you know, supporting other .NET open source projects. Um, you know as, as well as just you know partnering in general uh, you know, that, that's certainly something I will plan to do a lot more in the future
1: so do you do you see people trying to maybe petition for many other well the thing with jQuery is that that's so striking is that not only is it something that you're including but I mean that there's also support that comes with it mm-hmm. so do you see many people from your team now basically asking well can we do this too and this too and, and how would you make those decisions
0: yeah, you know, I mean, I, certainly, like a lot of people have asked me, you know, what about this technology?" Or have you thought about that technology? Um, you know, in, in general, I'd say uh, I think there's two things that we want to do. Um, you know, one is we want to make sure that that we can engage with any open source project, uh, whether it's .NET or, or another technology, um, and and have a good partnership around it. And that means you know we can help make sure it runs great. We can you know potentially include samples and documentation for how you take it, you know, how customers can take advantage of it you know, make sure they have early access to our tools, they can integrate as part of our tools. You know, that stuff we just should just do in general. Um, There's a separate question, which is, you know, what do you embrace and and, and are willing to offer, you know, formal Microsoft product support to, and specifically sort of, you know, um, know, tell customers you should use this. Uh, And, um, you know, in general there it's, you know, You'll, you'll continue you, you will see us probably do more of those in the future you know we're, we're, we tend to be a little conservative in that space because in general things like support and things like embracing you know come with a degree of commitment and and we've got to make sure that that anything that we that we kind of put our name behind and back up um, you know that that we're committed to over the you know the next decade to support uh, and so you know and so that you're not going to see us every week announce something new um, you know, jQuery I think was it was a good first step, and it's been super positive in terms of reaction, both internally and externally. Um, you know, and, and I think we'll do it more in the future. You know, we're still we're still going to be pragmatic and, and thoughtful about when we do that. Uh, but in general, we do want to make sure that for all open source projects that we do uh, engage well and partner. You know, which which again is slightly different from embrace, but um, but but do engage well in a. And, and make sure that they're they're doing well and supportive and and and, and running well on .NET.
1: Cool. Well, I know that uh, you have lots going on, so I just want to thank you very much for coming to spend time with us.
0: Oh, cool! my pleasure. Thank, thanks. thanks for having me.
1: Absolutely. You know, our, our industry is so innovative. It's always exciting to to think about and see what the new things are that's coming out. But what's coming from Silverlight uh, is definitely exciting. And it's also, it's neat to see the things happen, like what we've seen with jQuery. Because the focus really seems to be on, on doing what's right and making things the easiest that we can for developers. And so it's exciting. I'm glad to see it. Thanks a lot for spending this time with us. Uh, huge thanks out to Scott Guthrie and... Um, I hope you get a chance to check out the rest of the interviews that are coming up. If you're not a subscriber, please head over, over to the website getpixelated.com. That's get pixel the number eight ed.com, and you can subscribe to the feed right there. This is Craig Shoemaker. Until next time, I'll be talking to you soon.
2: Pixelate Radio
3: on the web at getpixelated.com. That's get pixel
1: the number eight ed.com. All rights reserved. Copyright 2008. Infragistics, powering the presentation layer. Infragistics.com